Therapists are usually really stuffy people, old people that don't understand how technology works or how games work. I'm one of the few people at my university as an instructor who, like, even though I barely understand computers, I'm the tech whiz because, I don't know, maybe I'm Asian or I don't know. Just I, 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 can tr- I know how to, like, install software or something. And so what this means is that a lot of therapists, in my experience – are not very tech savvy. They don't. They're they're phobic of computers, and they're also not very aware of geek culture or how to integrate geek culture, how to relate to their clients regarding, say, video games or you know other geek culture things, movies, Star Wars, comic books, the stuff that like regular people are into. And as a family therapist, I, I have to say that when I am talking with teenagers in particular and young adults that's their entire life for some people that's their entire life and to not understand that at least in some way is a huge barrier between therapist and client and if you can know that world and there are a few therapists that do and when they when you actually know that world and possess that world and actually like are a geek yourself clients will you know, love to come to therapy because they, they can't wait to talk to that person about all that kind of stuff who can relate to them and, and, and about all these things. And so there's some movement in our industry to have a greater presence. Maybe as younger therapists are starting to enter the field, there's this, there's this movement to involve more of this in the therapy room and in helping kids to develop in ways that we might want to help them with social skills or even how to learn different topics like math or language or and even in in therapeutic uh, arenas trauma recovery you know this kind of stuff and so one of the uh, I think tips of the spear that are doing this are Adam and Adam Adam Johns and Adam Davis who have been on the podcast before we've had episodes talking about Dungeons and Dragons therapy, but it's really much more than that. And they approached me recently and asked if I would, they're, they're starting a nonprofit soon. And the, the announcement is coming up. Well, by the time this episode comes out, the announcement will have already been made at PAX in early September. So this episode will probably come out. This must be the first week of September when this comes out. And they asked me to be on their board uh, as president of their of their nonprofit, that is, uh, its mission statement is, and they'll be able to. They're here in the room with me, uh, and they'll be able to articulate the mission better. But just as a summary, is to propagate the usage of games in a therapeutic or community enhancing way. And I think it's a wonderful thing, and we'll probably be doing periodic episodes about this. And so I thought. Uh, so this is the the launch. This is the launch episode of the podcast. I'm coming out of the closet, if you will, as president of the board of what is called Game to Grow. And I've had Anna, and have Adam Johns and Adam Davis both the. Uh, are you the executive directors? The, the executive yeah, directors of the nonprofit on the podcast. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to be here. This is my third time on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda, and I'm, I'm president of the board of the nonprofit Game to Grow. So did I articulate that well as the, 
as the mission to to I'm sure I flubbed it, but tell us the the full mission. You did great, Kirk. Um, so Game to Grow was founded on the idea that games of all kinds have the power to improve people's lives, and the benefits of these games can be improved by playing the game intentionally. Don't just game Game to Grow. Don't just game Game to Grow. Yeah. I like it. So that's going to be the tag. That, that might be our tagline. There might be some shirts with, I got that, it. with yeah. that on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that. So who are you trying to appeal to, and, and what exactly are you going to be doing for people? I mean, ultimately, the, the goal of Game to Grow is really to expand a lot of the benefits that we've already seen in some of our work with Wheelhouse Workshop, where we've u- been using role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons to help people, to help kids largely with social skill development. Game to Grow is going to take those amazing improvements that we've seen within that and build on that concept to expand it to all kinds of games and across a much wider audience of of individuals and challenges. Um, so, so far our focus has been social skills, but what we've seen has given the opened the doors to this possibility that games could be great for um, depression and anxiety and, and PTSD and, um, and not just in a therapeutic setting either, but also in education and in uh, community development purposes and what we want to do with game to grow, what game to grow is really going to, uh, accomplish is is that it's going to expand on those ideas and help people learn how to play games with intentionality to help them improve. Right. Um, and not just professionals either, but also in in family settings. We we want to help families be able to play board games together and have some knowledge of of we're, we're working on these skills together or we're communicating better because we're we're playing this game together. Yeah, and to be specific, and we've talked about this in more detail in other episodes, but you two have been over the past number of years led different social skills groups in which you have eight to ten teenagers uh, are, are some of them young adults or are they all teenagers uh, our age range goes from about nine to about early 20s okay so from nine to early 20s about eight to ten of these guys have you had any girls yet are they all some some girls some girls we have about 10 percent girls okay yeah. so a mixture of of people and they come to play Dungeons and Dragons, which they love and they get super into it because Dungeons and Dragons is super fun. And you lead these groups as the dungeon master, but also in a helpful way, in a therapeutic way, if you will, that can help these uh, individuals not only have fun, but also develop social skills, which can be very complicated in terms of how to help people develop social skills. Other models of helping social skills often are uh, way less effective in, in, in my experience. For instance, you'll have a 15-year-old who is getting angry at school and doesn't have a lot of friends and is uh, being bullied even. And they go to therapy and that because that's the, usually the first thing people think of, you know, because they don't think social skills. They think, oh, this kid is struggling. So send him to a therapist. <laughs> he goes to a therapist and the therapist, you know, is trying their best. But the therapist is 30 something. It's just, you know, is very accommodating and isn't a real person in the real world. It's it, it the the client. You get down on the ground, you can play games and stuff, but the th- and the therapist will try, like, oh, you seem a little frustrated. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, th- these can be excellent ways of helping people. But 
if you actually put you know this 16-year-old fictional fellow in a group of other nine individuals, each with their own personalities and their own quirks, and then you have this leader, and you're playing a game that you enjoy, which is highly social and very interactive and very you have to put yourself out there and you create an environment that encourages pro-social behavior right because you can play dungeons and dragons in any way you want you could you could play it in a way that everyone was evil when i was uh, in college we played an evil campaign where it was terrible i could i couldn't do it but your the whole <laughs> idea was to just be a villain and just kill the you know the innocent and stuff it was terrible <laughs> but obviously you wouldn't do that so you're you're setting up a game in which they are rewarded by gold and experience points and even just accolades among their peers to help, to assist, to be nice, to work out conflicts. And that's what you guys have been doing uh, for a number of years now. And so you thought, hey, what if we expanded this into a, a much bigger uh, thing because you're getting, you were getting a lot of uh, uh, attention from this, right? You, you were going to PAX. Uh, this organization is still around that you, you're a part of called Wheelhouse Workshop. Mm -hmm. And you were uh, getting a lot of attention for this. And, you're, and well, well, tell me, what, what was the inspiration to expand this exactly? Well, we've been working in therapeutic social skills groups using role-playing games for about five or six years now. And we've seen so many of the benefits and we wanted to expand it to serve a larger range of populations. Uh, the nonprofit status would give us the ability to serve uh, different populations in different parts of Seattle. And um, we'd like to expand into South Seattle, into some more communities that are, are deeply in need of social services, um, but are not in the don't have the capacity to, to pay for private pay services. Yeah, and to be specific, is uh, you're able to get donations and funds, funding from other nonprofits or other or you know, philanthropy, essentially. And that gives you the ability to provide services to people who can't afford to pay anything for it. Right. So, so that, that's what you're, you know, to be specific on the funding, that's what you're saying. With right. That. Mm -hmm. We've been ha having a lot of success in the greater Seattle area. Right now we, uh, we do all private pay through wheelhouse workshop. We offer a whole lot of sliding scales. We don't tend to t turn people away. Um, and that right now has been hard to run a for-profit company in that way. And so we want to – we've always wanted to expand into more communities. But as this is our job, um, we have to pay ourselves and it's been hard to, to, to set that price point at a way that it will exclude anybody. And so we're looking forward to being able to um, bring our work into hospitals, bring our work into schools in South Seattle, um, farther to, to – populations that are in deep need of services yeah. and you want to start training other people to do it you're already starting to to do a bit of that uh for other clinicians you uh want to grow the organization eventually so that uh, all these other groups can be uh headed by other people other than yourselves right um so was that it what, what was that a major part of it your people were coming to you and and saying oh I, this is kind of expensive and and then you're getting bummed out by that and thinking like, man, there's got to be a solution to this. I, I mean, that's definitely, that was definitely a part of it. Um, but I think a lot of it is, is on the idea that as a nonprofit, we sort of make a statement, not just to uh, companies, but also to, to individuals, to families and, and people who are interested in this and go, wow, that's a great idea. Um, but I, 
I can't do anything with that. And as a nonprofit, we give that, that availability that now if, if you want to help support this and help us grow it into something that is beyond something that that's just run by by two guys and helps to expand, teach other people how to do this, helps to um, really spread the word about why this is such a good idea. Now we have that platform to be able to say, look, we're, we are doing this for the benefit and, and the charity of being able to, to build on this concept and to get the word out to, to other people. And whether that word is, is training um, others on, on how to use games therapeutically, or whether that word is just letting people know games can be beneficial and here's some ways in which they can be beneficial, um, that's, right. that's what we really want to build on. Right. So it's not just that you will be offering services, which you will be. <laughs> direct services to, to people, but you're also wanting to spread essentially the idea and the culture and the notion that games can be used in this way. And as I was saying in the beginning of the episode, it's just my own take on culture, is there's this huge gap between clinicians and and what regular people do with their lives, you know? And uh, and I, as a family ther- as a trainer of family therapists, I always run into this with with novice therapists. I mean, Adam, I, you know, I don't know if you remember this. Maybe you don't because you were already playing games. But <laughs> there's always this point where, in the first two quarters of internship, the student, the intern, will say to me, "So." My teenagers, they're not talking. My kids, they're not talking. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get them to talk, and they're just saying, I don't know all the time. And and I will say some – this is a simplification, of course, of the conversations throughout the, throughout those quarters. But essentially, I'll say something like, well, you're not going to be able to talk with a 7-year-old or an 8 – you know, there's no – there's some 7-year-olds are verbal, and you can have a conversation with them. But the vast majority, you can't. You have to actually go into their world of play and whatever that is, whatever appeals to them. It could be puppets, could be board games, but it could also be video games. And how many therapeutic offices have a video game set up? You know, not many. In fact, I would actually just, you know, take this another level. I would say most therapists consider video games to be the bane of like development. They, they, you know, it's, oh, addiction to video games and, oh, it corrupts the mind. Again, because of this cultural divide, right? I mean, how many graduate school courses are titled like you know use of video games in therapy? Right, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's never didn't didn't come up in my program. Yeah, what <laughs> what, what chapter in a family therapy book talked about video games and using using video games with with your clients? I mean, it's just you know it's it's absurd, but that there's there's so much potential there. You know, it, it now in instead of just being like okay. Play Call of Duty, that's therapeutic. Like That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about like maybe even designing a particular game or having, you know, because the way you guys play Dozens and Dragons or other, you know, tabletop games with, with people, you mold it as a clinician, as someone who is thinking about this sort of thing in an intentional way that shapes the experience for people that's both fun and helpful to them in terms of the goals of them, you know, having more social skills, which helps them to have more friends and da, 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 da. So that, and the sky's the limit when it comes to other, all the other things that young people involve themselves in. Right. Well, there's a lot of benefits that these games have very intuitively. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is a game because of its, um, because of the fact that it's a game you play around a table with other people, it relies on your social skills to be successful. It also has reward structures built in that some are in- intrinsic and some are extrinsic. The better your team works together, the more likely you are to 
defeat the enemies and get the XP, win the loot, etc. There's also, as uh, the facilitators, we can harness the sort of um, extrinsic or the intrinsic motivations to, to help them realize that you enjoy playing with people when you have pro-social behaviors. And the same thing is true about video games. There's a lot of video games. You might say Call of Duty does not have any benefits. Call of Duty is a, is a war game. You're shooting people. It's very overtly violent. Um, but also, there's a lot of tactics a lot of um, creative problem solving you might need to do that you might need to do with other people. So we might be able to play Call of Duty with a group of people and help them figure out how to communicate with each other in such a way that we can um, collaboratively come up with that tactic where I could tell you everything to do and you might hate me and do everything opposite. We might be the worst team of Call of Duty players ever. Or we could, with some intentional facilitation, have them reflect on maybe their strengths as a leader, maybe their challenges in following directions or vice versa, and then translate those skills from the game into other parts of their lives. Because people oftentimes will harness a part of themselves they don't realize they have when they play these games. Um, You might not uh, think of yourself as being someone who is very good at your frustration tolerance, but yet you totally got to the very end of um, Dark Souls, (laughs) one of the hardest, most frustrating games I've ever played in my life. But I found in myself when playing Dark Souls that I was really good at challenging myself and trying again and not giving up. And then there were times in my life that I said, oh, I'm going to play this. I'm going to do this thing like I do Dark Souls. I'm going to try this again. I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to think about the, the strength that I have when playing Dark Souls. And I can, I can use that when I'm working on things at work, when I'm working on things in my social life, um, out there in the community. I, I can translate the skills that I've got in games. And that's part of the thing we're doing with young people right now is helping people realize the strengths you have when you're playing Gragnold the Dwarf Barbarian, you can actually use in your real life. You can take the strength, the self-advocacy, all those things, and be that at school. Maybe not <laughs> you know, not pick up a chair and throw it the way you did in the Tavern Brawl, <laughs> but you might be able to use some of that strength. Right, yeah. I, growing up, played Dungeons & Dragons and other games since fifth grade and i i as you guys talk about it i just think about how i developed and how i learned lessons about who i was and about what was right and about how to work with other people while playing those games because i was so obsessed fifth sixth grade seventh grade i think that that was pretty much all I wanted to do all the time. And so with, with my friends, um, I, I, I can remember, I don't remember a lot about those times. It was a long time ago, but I can remember so many details about the games that we played back then. And so, uh, and my friends do too. Like we still, re- there was this one time when it's fifth grade and we were at recess and we didn't have any dice and we didn't have any of our D and D stuff with us. And, I improvised uh, like a 10 person game in which we got pebbles that we kind of marked as like winning or not winning, you know, and we rolled the pebbles on the, on the part <laughs> in the blacktop, you know, and one of my friends still remembers that he's like, remember that time when you like improvised this Dungeons and Dragons game with pebbles as dice. So like, that was the best, you know, and the game probably lasted like five minutes because it's recess. It's, you know, but there, there's, a, there's a something, I mean, and, and so what I'm saying is like, even for myself, I know that uh, if I, I would be a different person, I think without those experiences, um, they're, I, they're they're very meaningful because you you still have a sen- you still have a sense of imagination and y- your brain can go into all these wondrous places with other people. You know what I mean? Here's my question to you, though, Kirk. How did you 
or when did you start reflecting on the benefits that it had for you? Just now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things we realize is a lot of people play games. I think 97% of people play games of some sort. Yeah. Um, and there's all these benefits you can have by playing these games. And even more so if you are encouraged to reflect on it, if you're encouraged to reflect and to translate. So yeah. the benefits that you had as a fifth grader or a sixth grader, imagine if someone had been there to help you realize the benefits you were getting out of that yeah. and could help you sort of uh, build that confidence and build that imagination, that creative spirit that you had into school or into church or into whatever your community is. Yeah. And that's what you guys do and what you're going to train other people to do. And functionally, I think some of the stuff that you mentioned earlier about about the idea of how therapists create engagement and how how games are a re- very real part of people's lives, and they are a super engaging aspect to that. And I, I love playing games. Um, yeah. I-, I feel powerful in games, or I feel um, just enthusiastic. I- I'm having a really good time. And there isn't any particular reason that we can't jump on on that idea and say, "Awesome, you're enthusiastic about this. Let's let's use that and that enthusiasm and that passion that you have for it, and and build on those ideas of what the game's already benefiting you for. And let's let's be intentional about that and, and extrapolate that." that piece along with that enthusiasm for those benefits. Yeah. Enthusiasm. When I talk with people about this, because it's, you know, we, we've had board meetings and people are like, what are you doing? You know, uh, today on a Sunday. And so I have to explain, I'm going to this board meeting, board meeting. What the hell? I'm going to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm on the board for this nonprofit that's coming out called game to grow. And they're like, what is it? And I was, and I'd say, well, it's, in a nutshell, it is an organization that is trying to make it so that is what <laughs> basically what I come back to what I say very you know sh- briefly is imagine kids want to, not only wanting to go to therapy but dying to go to therapy right. <laughs> and having the therapy actually work like that's that's the thing right that it's helpful therapy and the the teenagers young adults. Uh, children are dying to go. It's that marriage between, you know, intentional services, therapeutic or otherwise services, with the things that people actually enjoy doing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, and it's like, imagine if you're you went to work and I don't know, like there was something actually fun to do there. Something, I don't know. It's just, it's just like, it's, it, we, th- we tend to think about therapy and clinical services as something that isn't fun, right? We think of it as something that is supposed to be work. It's supposed to be hard work. And if it's fun, it's not. So that's another thing I, you know, that I, is another barrier with, with novice therapists. It's like, I feel like we're just talking. I feel like we're just playing games, you know, because in their head they have therapy as this thing in which they confront someone and the person like has this revelation or something. And certainly it can be like that, but it can also be in the midst of play in the midst of, you know, you're, you're playing call of duty with, with your client and you're sitting there and you're, you know, split screening or something and you're playing the game. And then, uh, while you're playing the game, uh, the kid starts talking about their mom or something because they're relaxed and they are bonding with you or something. Now, that's not using the game therapeutically, but it's using the game as a way to 
to get them comfortable and to make you seem like you're like you're with them and you're interested in their world and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, and a lot of that is in that sort of relationship building, right? Um, similar to when you were, when you were in the playground and, and you were rolling rocks. Uh, I mean, those are, those are the stories and the times that you're really going to remember. And those are the relationships that you build. It's those stories that help build that relationship. And in a lot of senses, games, uh, help give us that. They help give us that space where we are really, engaging and we're really feeling connected to other people and even when you're sitting side by side on a couch and shooting each other in call of duty um you're you're building on that relationship and you're building on those ideas and that relationship is a super key point to, to any therapist session certainly but but to all all aspects of of being able to grow and change and open up to to others and those are really important yeah before i forget there is a planned antioch function so you're both antioch grads uh, Adam Johns, you're from the Couple and Family Therapy Program, mm-hmm. in which I'm core faculty. Adam Davis, you're from the Master's in Education Program and Drama Therapy. And there's a, an event coming up uh, at Antioch University, Seattle, in Belltown. Uh, the date is set, right? September it's, 7th. Yeah. September 7th. Oh, okay, so we should probably release this episode like... Like right away, like maybe during during because <laughs> PAX, PAX is yeah. is is the first, and that's when you're going to make the announcement of Game to Grow mm-hmm. uh, at PAX. You've you've been on you've been to PAX before, and you've been highlighted at PAX uh, in panels. This is actually our sixth PAX. Your sixth PAX, PAX West, the original PAX, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're going to make the the grand announcement there. So this episode, I guess, would come out on the second, I suppose. So on the seventh at Antioch, there's going to be a, a an an open house public event that I'm guessing will be free and anyone can come. So if you want to meet uh, Adam and I'm, I actually can't be there cause I'm going to be at a camp that I go to once a year. This camp hires me as a psychology person, which bums me out. But uh, anyway, you'll be there and you'll be demonstrating what game to grow can actually provide for clinicians and for other people interested in this sort of thing and, 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 and communities and clients and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Have you guys worked out what you, what you want to do yet? We're still talking with uh, Rachel over there at Antioch about what the specifics of this event are going to be. Okay. Um, But we guarantee it'll be fun. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) If it's an Adam and Adam event, it'll be a good time. At the very least, we'll definitely be talking, we'll be talking about like all of our, uh, all of our dreams for what we want game to grow to be and, and all of our goals in the in the future for how we want to expand and, and build on on the idea of of games and, and therapy education and community um so at the very least it'll be inspirational because we'll be talking about all that stuff so yeah and so what now i, I want to highlight one particular thing that you that you want to do in the future and that you've already done a little bit of which is training for other clinicians, what, what what is that going to entail exactly? Well, we actually had um, at Antioch University, Seattle, we had a six-hour workshop we did there for part of their summer program a couple of years ago. And that was a six-hour workshop where we part of it was the theory behind what we do, uh, specifically with tabletop role-playing games. We, we unpacked our, our code phrase uh, of how tabletop role-playing games are therapeutically beneficial, which is scaffolded and aesthetically distanced play-based narrative transference. Wow. So it's, if you're a theory a, junkie... A <laughs> Um, so we, we talked about that, uh, with a great Prezi presentation, um, and then also taught them, uh, a game that we made up that they could use in their therapy settings and then, um, sort of workshopped with them, gave them some experiential component there to, to practice the skills of being a game master. A game you made up 
other than D&D or a game within D&D? It's a shortened version of a tabletop role-playing game with a couple of dice, just okay. for the, the basic principles of that what makes it looks sense. like to be a game master. That makes sense, because a lot of clinicians don't have the time to learn, because D&D can be a, a little, you know, it's, for me, growing up with Gygax and all that stuff, it's very familiar to me, and, but I'm, I'm guessing for people it's a steep learning curve, so, it, you, but uh, you can create a very quick and dirty way of playing, uh, you know, role playing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a with w- just what's what's the rules that you made up? So the the game is actually called um, Try Dice, and it effectively uses just um, if if you're familiar with role playing games, it uses what are called uh, fudge dice or fate dice, uh, which are dice that are six sided dice, just like any uh, board game dice, um, except that instead of numbers, they have two pluses on them, two minuses, and two blank sides. And so you use those, and uh, by rolling those dice, you get to add the randomness to the world. But functionally, the game just has all of the very, very basic components of a game like Dungeons & Dragons, in the sense that there's one person who's a game master, and so they sort of lead the storytelling, and they they clarify the rules, and they clarify what happens after you try to do something. And then everybody else who's playing a character, and the characters in the world can be pretty much anything that you want them to be. And so everybody has a little description that says, um, what their character, who their character is, and what their name is, and what what kinds of things they're good at, and what kinds of things they're not good at. Like I'm a warrior, and I'm good with a sword, and I'm bad with making jokes or something. Right. It actually puts it into a into a sentence frame, I believe, is, is what we set up. Adam, do you remember the frame? The sentence frame is imagine it like Mad Libs. So you have a name. The fantasy race profession is good at and bad at. Okay. So then you can say Gragnold, the dwarf. A bookkeeper yeah. is good at math and bad at throwing things. Okay, right. and then in the game, Gragnold, the dwarven bookkeeper, might be really good, very high intelligence, and there might be situations in the game where that good at math might come up. He's very intelligent. You can extrapolate based on the good at and bad at other situations with the game master. Where I might say to the game master, "Well, Gragnold's good at math. Could I also say that um, he might be able to to deci- discover or decipher this this?" Um, code this right. puzzle whatever and, and the then i as would, the i as the game master might say yeah you know what your math skills do translate in this in this case you can cipher you can decipher this this cipher in this in this book um but now you have to throw the book at somebody um and Gregon's not so great at at throwing the book and in those instances you'd have to maybe roll three pluses or something in order to right and, to, and functionally that's that's sort of how the game breaks down is that when you roll when you roll the dice you always roll three dice and if it's something that you're good at or you can justify being being good at this then you'll get an extra plus bonus and if it's something that you're bad at um then you'll get an extra minus bonus okay. or bo- bonus an extra minus negative right, right. um and and so it helps distinguish part part of the the great thing about role playing games is that they help create um, you have to be good at some stuff and you have to be bad at some stuff yeah. um, and you have to juggle those those two areas to make an interesting character right yeah I once designed a game similar to that it was a little bit more complicated than that but because I was getting tired of all the rules and I just thought you know it really just comes down to you're good at things and you're and you're not so good at other things and. And then you just need like some kind of random number generator of some kind. Like you don't need like you don't need ten different kinds of dice. Da 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 da. You just need one one way of like you know. Let's see what happens here. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I, I I totally understand it. And in a lot of ways, those kinds of games are funner because they people don't get bogged down in like a bunch of rules. You know, as as game masters yourself, I'm sure you've had this experience as a player too, perhaps, is, you, you know, 
you're you're playing this game, but everyone's got their head and their character and their head and the spell books, and they're trying to like game the system, you know. And they're not having fun, and they're not interacting, and they're not thinking about what their character cares about, you know. And what you're talking about right there is the difference between gaming and playing. Interesting. And there's our, our name is is game to grow, and we fully love games the games themselves but if we're not doing it right there's a chance that we're gaming without playing and that's where you've got a lot of compulsive behaviors you're looking at the the extrinsic reward systems in these games like candy crush can be very addicting we talked at at our video game addiction episode about cookie clicker which is the least beneficial game i can think of because you just click a cookie but it has some some reward structures in there and if, if you can think about um the way those games can be used differently or the way that it, when you're when you're reflecting on the fact that i'm gaming i'm not playing we're sitting here we're both trying to win we can't wait for this game to be over we're not really playing with each other and right. that's where the the play is what gives the the benefit to the social environment right. the play when we are playing with our participants that's where we're building the relationships if we're gaming if we're um providing them very extrinsic rewards in a, in a sort of a Skinner box to get them to um, provide, to, to do the appropriate behaviors for the appropriate response, then they're not having fun and there's no benefit to that. Yeah. Um, that that'll last outside the game space. Yeah, and that's where the two of you guys come in because you're charismatic and fun as game masters that keep people's attention, right? You know, you, you don't just say like, okay, you enter a room and there are three kobolds what do you do? You know, you, you go, you know, Gragnock the kobold comes out of the thing and he says, yeah, you finally arrived. I've been waiting. I'll, you know, and you build it up, blah, blah, blah. And, and you have different characters, ongoing characters and voices. And, you know, you, you probably stand up and move around the room and that kind of yes. stuff. And, and it's hard to have your nose in your character sheet when, you know, Adam's running around like a crazy person. <laughs> right. And we do and we do a lot of encouraging for them to sort of meet us in that same space. Not only are we exemplifying that, right, by speaking in in this kobold voice and and really getting them to to um listen to what the kobold is saying to them, but then when they when when Gragnold said the bookkeeper um turns around and and uh wants to do something, wants to negotiate with the kobold, um he might he might say um I um uh, I negotiate him with him to make him go back into his cave. And we go, "No, how about how about you stand up what does gragnold say yeah. what how does he how does he do his negotiation how do how do people react to that when you do something like that it's there's a, sort of a, a a scaffolding we have to do so we're not going to do that on day one with a brand new player too much well <laughs> yeah well it depends some players are ready to jump right in and do that and there's a lot of intuition in how to do this well which is sort of the challenge in training people is that there were, we're training intuition largely and knowing where to meet a player and where to challenge them how to scaffold how to how to build them up yeah. To make them successful. Because if a lot of the reason why this is so beneficial for social skills specifically is because social skills have to be met with success. You have to feel successful in order to want to keep trying again. Right. And so if we challenge them too much in a way that they don't feel successful, they will not want to come back. Right. And you've, and you've been really successful today. Incidentally, after that episode on video game addiction, I played cookie clicker for the next month straight. <laughs> um, I figured out there's a lot of math involved at the upper, upper levels. And so I had a spreadsheet. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, so you uh, found the benefits in cookie. You use it to improve your math. <laughs> it's a ridiculous game. Uh, and, and then I actually found another game on my phone that's very similar to cookie clicker. And it's about chickens and, and I think aliens or something. 
Uh, but anyway, it's it's it's, it's <laughs> eggs. I think it's all based on egg production, and you end up getting into like the trillions of trillions of egg production on your farm. It's stupid. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, is that you wasted a whole month of my life, Adam. <laughs> um, but uh, tell me about some of the successes you've had with some of your people that you've worked with. What what have you seen? What have the parents told you? What have you seen? Um, a parent told us not too long ago that that one of um, this parent's kids was told by their therapist that they would need years and years of psychotherapy before they would ever be able to function in a social group. And uh, this young person came to our groups um, sort of tentatively at first. We weren't really sure um, how it was going to work out. Uh, And it turns out that they've been in our groups now for over a year and are now having um, meaningful social relationships outside of our groups. And I can't take all the credit for it, of course. um, But I know that a therapist had told this family that they would never be able to function in a social group and coming weekly to play Dungeons and Dragons in our intentionally therapeutic sense, they've had the benefits and the challenges of being with people. And I will facilitate it very intentionally to make sure this young person is challenging their own abilities to be social, but feeling successful and being willing to take risks meeting other people. Yeah. So in the beginning, this person was uh, having trouble interacting with other people at school, probably not like any friends, some autism related challenges on top of that. Some, some very um, strong fixations, some strong anxiety um, that was making it really hard for this young person to participate. And so the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons with randomness and with other people is that you have to become a little bit comfortable with unpredictability. Mm. You have to become comfortable with um, other people having different ideas than you and having different strengths than you and relying on other people and needing other people to be successful and realizing the benefits of look what we can accomplish when we work together. Right. Yeah, in a sense, it's kind of like exposure therapy in that you're exposing people to what terrifies them, which is that randomness. uh, A lot of times people who struggle with social skills will turn to video games and, and these kinds of games because there's an order to it, right? There's predictability. And mm. the, the game, you know, you press the trigger and it shoots the gun in the game. Uh, you, you know, you play this tabletop game and it has a certain structure to it. You're supposed to do this now and then you do that. And, then, and in social life, it's infinitely uh, variable and, and unpredictable. Absolutely. And, but everyone even mildly autistic people desperately want acceptance and a social community and fun in their lives, Mm -hmm. but will isolate because they, upon trying to interface, interface with that will as a young, younger person will realize that it always goes badly for them. You know, they'll, they'll say something that will piss someone off. They'll get in trouble somehow someone will come at them with something that they weren't predicting and mm-hmm. they don't know how to react and they feel humiliated or that their feelings are hurt or it could even get, you know, violent and, you know, bullying and this kind of stuff or ostracizing. And so, so they retreat, but, but then in your groups, you are there to facilitate things. Cause you know, you've told me stories about some of the uh, group members, you know, coming to near altercations, <laughs> or at the very least, having negative feelings towards each other, and you're there to facilitate that week in and week out to help them pass that. But more on a mundane level, you're there to meet them where they're at, 
they come with whatever level of ability they have at that moment. And then you challenge them just a little bit beyond that. And then the next session, a little bit beyond that, and a little bit beyond that. So with someone that has severe social skill deficits in the first group, you're not going to you're not going to just high, you know, put them in the hot seat and say like, do your best dwarf impression of you right. know books. You're going to be you're you're going to maybe even never do that in the first few weeks and like just uh, just uh, just them sitting in a room with you know seven other people is a big deal and just allowing that to them to get comfortable with that and then slowly they become more and more comfortable with with the scariness of unpredictability and that's where the beauty of dice rolling comes in because. Even in our daily lives, we might mess up doing things we've done a thousand times. I, I trip up the stairs a lot. Yeah. And I'm pretty able to climb stairs, but yeah. yet still, you know, occasionally I'll trip up the stairs. Right. Um, I'll walk into a doorway. There's, you know, there's embarrassing things that happen to us. Yeah. So the nice thing about dice is it gives us a little bit of room for that. You're not going to, every time you walk upstairs, you're not going to succeed. Sometimes you're going to trip up the stairs. Hopefully you don't trip down the stairs, but it happens too. And you have to deal with the repercussions of that. Sometimes you take a little damage, but you don't die. It's okay. It's all right to have some of those. those Yeah, that's, I'm sure, a big part of learning how to tolerate uh, things that are difficult to tolerate, which is rolling badly. Um, I, I... have not learned how to tolerate that. <laughs> I, I will, I will throw away dice that are bothering me. You know what I mean? Well, you can externalize it on the dice. That's what's so nice about it. It's because it's not you that tripped up the stairs. It's the dice that rolled. And <laughs> what does Gragnold do when he trips up the stairs? Does yeah. he save face? Does he does he feel um, embarrassed? Does he try to not show it? Does he get angry and punch the wall? How does Gragnold deal with the frustration of tripping up the stairs, which is something yeah. he's done a thousand times? So not only do you get to externalize it to the dice and be like, oh, this dice rolled a one again. I can't believe it. Yeah. But you can also externalize it to Gragnold. And you can be like, ah, oh, Gragnold's being such a clumsy idiot today. Right. Um, and it's not it's not me who's tripping up the stairs, or it's not even me who's who's having difficulty negotiating with this king. You know, this is all Gragnold. That's that's on him to to uh, continue to have to threaten the king, even though that might not be the most effective and tactic here. What would, what advice would you give Gragnold, knowing that Gragnold is just totally messing up and negotiating with this king or dealing with whatever situation? What advice would you give Gragnold? Right. Oh, wow. You'd tell Gragnold to make eye contact. You'd tell Gragnold to broaden his chest, to look proud. What, what would that look like if you did that right now? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, now let's try again. Let's see what it looks like when Gragnol does it. Why don't you roll it again? We can break any rule we want to. Right. Um, or just do it. We don't even need you to roll for it. You did such a good job of role-playing that, that we can select a time to roll the dice or not roll the dice. It doesn't matter um, as long as the person feels successful doing it. Right, right. Yeah, I just want to highlight the power of what you just demonstrated in that, again, therapist, client, you know, therapist saying... So you're having trouble at school. Uh, maybe it's how you hold yourself. Maybe it's the way you talk to people. And the kid's like, "I don't. What are you talking about? Like this is stupid. Get me out of here." Mm-hmm. Whereas you masterfully, in you know, they're already wanting to play the game. They already want to succeed. They already are enjoying themselves. And then you're uh, you're you know getting them to uh, play the game in a way that gets them to exhibit social skills. I'm not even putting this into words very well, but uh, that you're trying to get them to do all the while they're, they're enjoying themselves and having fun. And then they get rewarded in the game. And then the rest of the group says, yeah, great job. And, 
and and then that will translate and generalize into their regular behavior. We actually had a very specific situation where we did that, where we had a young person came into our groups, and uh, this young person's natural tendency was to sit with their legs up on the chair with their knees in front of their face. So that when they spoke, their all their words would be muffled behind their knees. No one else could really understand them. And when we spoke to a parent and a teacher about this young person and trying to understand their therapeutic goals, they said um, their therapeutic or, or their uh, their friendships at at school are are um, sort of fizzling out because the people kind of think this person's strange. They think it's weird. That their their uh, body language is off putting. Yeah. So with that information, we created a situation in the game where this young person who was playing a dwarf barbarian, um, we we had their group have to infiltrate a fancy dinner party. So in order to find information about some corrupt uh, magistrate or something like that, this was years ago, so I'm having trouble remembering the specifics of the plot. But they came into this fancy dinner party, and we had everybody sit at the table the way their characters were sitting. And so this young person who who had their, their knees up had to put their legs down, put their arms on the table, and sit like Gragnold the Dwarf Barbarian. And so in this moment, uh, the way that they had infiltrated this fancy dinner party was by pretending to be kings from other nations that they had all made up. Um, so they came in and there were a lot of like sycophantic little uh, peon characters who were all played by me um, who looked at them and thought they were just amazing. Look at all these um, magistrates and kings from other nations and, and me, little peon. I, I looked at them with my eyes wide like I was so excited to meet them. And then the peons didn't know how to sit at a table. And so they would look at Gragnold, the now pretending to be a king uh, dwarf, and uh, do what they did. The peon didn't know how to behave at the table because they were at the fanciest party this peon had ever been at. So then the the peon played by me would spread my legs out and put my arms on the table, and then uh, um, the young person playing Gragnold was playing up Gragnold, playing up this dwarf barbarian as someone who had no social skills. Gragnold, the dwarf barbarian, was um, kind of bumbling and loud and would take bread from the waiters walking by and just eat it and throw it around the room and stuff. And the the peons, played by me, thought that was the appropriate thing to do. So the peons would also grab the bread and bite it and throw it, thinking it was the right thing, or slurp the, the squid ink pasta up from the plate. And uh, this young person was... Um, who had always sat with their legs around their face and speaking very quietly, um, got the opportunity to feel the rewards of being loud and taking up space and, and being um, bold and courageous. Um, and the the way that that translated is, is from that point forward, this young person at the table took up more space. They were a little more comfortable playing Gragnol. They were a little bit more comfortable um, being bold and and reaching out to other people they, right, they got right. to see sort of what the benefits of of their change in body language gave in their expression how they related to the rest of the people at the table how that changed how other people saw it right yeah and again just imagine trying to facilitate that in a one-on-one -on -one therapy room or in a group therapy situation in which you're just talking you know because my guess you know just me just taking a guess he came to group uh, to to play games, and he sits down. He's like, "Okay, we're playing games." And then you set up the game, and you're like, "Okay, here's." The, and he's like, "Oh," and he's got his, you know, he's got his legs up, but in his mind, he's like, "Oh, this is going to be fun." You know, we're we're playing a game. Oh, we're going to this thing. Oh, what's going on? We're going to this dinner party. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And and then all of a sudden, he's he's like, "Oh, I got to put my legs down." Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, it probably just doesn't register to him like 
therapy is happening to me right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. He's probably just like, oh, yeah, I, of course, got to put my, okay, now, now what? Now, what else do I have to do to, like, you know, make this work in the game, you know? And again, it's externalizing, as you're saying, Adam. The, it's uh, not him who's putting his legs down. It's, it's this character who's putting the legs down. It's not him who is acting bold and taking up space in the room. It's this character. But, you know, through the process, they uh, internalize this as themselves as well. And, and then they can take those skills into the world. It's a sort of a Mr. Miyagi approach. It, yeah. it is a little Mr. Miyagi-esque. Yeah. In <laughs> terms of uh, you go with uh, the um, the movement of the attacker, right? Instead of uh, against the attacker. That's it, what you're meaning. We do, we do actually um, a lot of uh, what's often called in, in, I think, drama therapy, challenge by choice. Um, well, and a lot of stuff, I guess, um, not specific to drama therapy. And that idea is in that situation, you know, Adam didn't turn to that, to that, uh, young person and say, Gragnold's going to have to put his legs down and he's going to have to, you know, take a wide stance at the table and, and direct him on how to do that. That young person came up with those ideas on their own. Yeah. Um, Adam set up a situation in which it was highly likely that he would come to that decision on his own. And it was right. safe. It was yeah. safe and encouraged. Yeah. It, it and was safe rewarded. And, and rewarded after, after he did it, he stepped up to that challenge. And so that's, that's that sort of space where he gets to say, um, maybe he would just, maybe he would sit how he was, but he would describe Gragnold sitting differently instead, yeah. rather than take on his own body language, which would be less of a step up in challenge, but might still be a good reward point for him. That right. might still be a good point where it's saying, Oh, you, you took some steps and recognized that, those are important things for Gragnold to do here. Right. And so that might be rewarded as well. The other thing is that I didn't ever pathologize the way he was sitting. There was nothing wrong with that inherently. It's totally, you could sit in a chair however you want to. But once you realize that if you speak a little louder, if you reach out to other people around you, being bold, you might, there might be benefits that you didn't realize were there. Right. So what are the other things that, uh, you know, in five years, Game to Grow, what, what are all the, what's the plethora of uh, uh, hand, uh, bowls that you're going to have your hands in? Um, well, right now, like we said, we've been um, working with tabletop role-playing games and other tabletop games exclusively. We've done a little bit of uh, dabbling in video games. I've actually been, not in a wheelhouse workshop context, but um, just personally uh, working with the Atlantic Street Center down in South Seattle, helping them develop a, a video game therapy program that's working with dialectical behavioral therapy skills. What's that going to look like? Um, well, that's it's actually the core gaming program at the Atlantic Street Center. I've been helping them um, develop their training manual with that. Um, so I have some experience working in video games in teaching life skills as well. So we're hoping that um, – are planning on having Game to Grow fold in a lot of the, the video game intentionality as well. So um, that involves uh, – is that individual therapy model – uh, it's a group therapy model. So, so, it's, so people it's a- come, so clients come to a room, there's a therapist there, and uh, there, there's, you're playing video games with the intention of doing what exactly? So it's a, it's a skills training approach. Okay. So in that case, it's... Um, emotional regulation? A lot of emotional regulation. So we'll, we'll work on the DBT skill of, of deal, which is about deep breathing and self-encouragement and taking, taking breaks and listening, uh, listening for the quiet. And we'll teach that skill, have them practice it, embody it, and then play a challenging video game in such a way that it will be very beneficial if you know how to self-soothe. If you right. know how to keep yourself calm and collected, you'll be much better at jumping over things in the game Bit Trip Runner. Yeah, emotional regulation is such an important thing and so wide-ranging in terms of what it could help in your life. And 
and it's often a goal in therapy for young people and to use video games not only in a helpful way because video games can be very frustrating and provide a lot of opportunity experiential opportunity for emotional regulation but it also can motivate people to go to therapy right yes <laughs> okay Absolutely. interesting so so yeah i could see that just being just a huge uh i could i could i could see that being very popular with various different agencies around mm-hmm. uh the world <laughs> um so so you want to train people to do that and, and train trainers to do that i'm right. guessing and tra- train people to be able to facilitate that that group and and put that together and lead that that experience okay. um we also want to be able to expand into um uh, one of the big calls that we have heard in a lot of the talks that we've given at PAX and things is is um, being able to serve veterans. Um, and I think that's something that's that's definitely on the table and being able to expand groups that might, and those might be tabletop games groups, but w- what we'd really like to do is take on some um, some people who can be experts on, on working with veterans, not an area of expertise that Adam and I have, um, and figure out how to take those those same concepts in the same way that we did with um social skills um and and aiming tabletop games at social skills groups we want to we want to find out how how can we use gaming to help target that and help provide an experience to to make it through ptsd with veterans yeah yeah complicated area so mm-hmm. you plan on going into that area what, what else do you guys plan on doing there's a lot of other organizations around the country that are are uh, doing similar services. They're using games in, in therapeutic settings, uh, but everybody's kind of in their own silos. And it's not been until very recently that we've been able to um, start talking to each other thanks to the internet and thanks to a lot of exposure, thanks to things like Penny Arcade and, and YouTube of our panels and things like that. A lot of people are starting to come together. And so what we're hoping the Game to Grow can also do is, is be a hub for these different organizations to come together and share ideas, um, share approaches. If we need consultation on veterans or um, uh, sexual offenders, whatever our, our population might be that's coming to us and looking for services, we might be able to have consultation back and forth for people who are needing that extra help using games for a specific population. Interesting. So part of that will be providing sort of an online space where anybody who is interested in in the intentional uh, application of of games for for growth or or change um, can come on and and participate in the conversation, be a part of that, and and contribute their their experiences or even just learn from the experiences of others. And we'll have people contact us who see us on an article. We got it. Uh, posted about in Kotaku, which is was picked up all around the world. And we had people contacting us from Australia, from Europe, from uh, Indonesia, saying, I want to put a kid in these kinds of services. Do you know of anything that's in my area or even in the Bay Area or, or in closer places? And so it'd be really nice to be able to have a resource, sort of a psychology today of intentional gaming mm-hmm. so that people could look up and find access to these resources because we know it's it's amazingly beneficial and we would love to be able to serve those populations ourselves but we're only two people right now in the greater seattle area we we already run five groups a week um i don't know how far we could go and run more if we wanted to go as far as south as olympia um it would be something we would have to hire but much less getting a group in the bay area or kansas or etc indonesia (laughs) absolutely yeah interesting okay uh, so it sounds like you want to have an online directory for people who are uh, either certified or even just you know self-claiming to be good at this sort of stuff. 
Uh, that that would be a wonderful thing. Um, so you want to train people to be able to do it as well, um, and just propagate the the notion of and that's you know that's the definition of a nonprofit, right? You're not in it for the money. You're in it for the uh, helping of of people. Essentially, you want to help people, and you think that uh, by propagating this idea and popularizing it and assisting people to learn how to do it, that it will actually help people. That's, that's your purpose. I think that's been one of the challenges so far in this industry is a lot of people kind of wanted to keep their cards close to their chest. Mm. They're doing this super cool thing and they didn't want to tell anybody about it because they wanted it to be theirs. And those silos have come up and they've gone away in various places all over the world. And one of the things that Adam and I struck out to do from the very beginning was not do that. We wanted to go to PAX and people would say, you're going to PAX, you're just training your competitors. That's all you're doing when you go to PAX is you're going to tell the world about the stuff you do. You're going to saturate the market with game therapists and you're going to run out of business. And we didn't believe that. We thought that we, if we went out there and we shared out these ideas and told people about how we do what we do as much as we can, um, we would be able to increase the amount of people doing this, which would serve more people. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's very altruistic and and uh, and very Antiochian of you. <laughs> I mean, I guess ultimately, if we wanted to look at the really big picture of what, what we'd love for Game to Grow to, to accomplish someday, which would be to change the way that people game, um, to change the way that people view those experiences and help them see the opportunity in that to, to find improvements or benefits or growth for themselves. Um, if we could uh, introduce that into the population, let them see how beneficial this can be. It gives the opportunity for everybody, professionals and non-professionals alike, to shift their focus and go, well, now that we're playing this game, what do I get out of this experience? How can I, how can I improve myself with this? How can I game better? Yeah. Like, how can I game to, to grow? grow. <laughs> uh, what about education experiences and individual? So, you know, because when I hear you say that, Adam, I think of people playing a game by by themselves or on or online with other people by themselves with an intention of trying to help themselves somehow are you thinking about that kind of thing too to some extent yeah i mean obviously there's there's a there's a line um that we want to really encourage that you shouldn't be doing therapy on yourself right and you, sh- you shouldn't be but maybe being- like a like a guide that someone could follow that that someone in your organization or someone associated sets up that was likely to be helpful and safe. Exactly. Actually, one, one of the things that we would love to do at some point and probably would be within the, the sort of five years is um, create a bit of a manual for parents who are not introduced into gaming and who are not a part of that, that world on how to play games with the family. Wow. Um, in a way that is beneficial. There, there are definitely ways to, to play games that might not be as encouraging to, to, to the experience or, or, or as uplifting or, or as great for encouraging that growth. And even just having a, um, something for parents to read to say, if you're going to sit down and you're going to um, play a game together, if you're going to sit down and play Catan together, how can I encourage that, that being friendly and trading with each other might actually be more beneficial to you than um, being cutthroat and trying to cut everybody off at the pass. Yeah, that's so funny because a friend of mine, I introduced him to Catan, actually a couple, and I was like, oh, let's play Settlers of Catan. And they're like, oh, we played this already, and we didn't really like it. And I, and I was like, oh, man, it's the best, you know? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, our son hoarded everything and like refused to trade and it it just it just felt really 
you know, not fun. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that's your problem. I mean, <laughs> that's the problem. And and uh, and they didn't know about the the robber rule. Like, if you have the more, rule seven, if rule. you have eight or more, you have to get rid of half your stuff. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't know about that rule because that that you know quickly encouraged. You know, that's a a rule in the game that encourages. I'm sure in the playtesting of that game, they're like. People hoard stuff, and so in order to discourage that, you want you know you got to create this rule because that I don't know people play Catan, but having eight uh, resources in your hand is actually pretty common. Like mid game, like you could have like you you could have fifteen resources in your hand. You're just like oh my god, I got to get rid of this stuff before you know. Hmm. And uh, so it's funny that you say that you know because it does encourage working with people and and you end up being very friendly with people. Like hey, uh, so I really need this thing and. And and so that I think that'd be great having a a manual or an online resource for parents. How many parents are worried about their kids' social skills or their kids locking themselves in their room just you know by themselves? And how many parents want to have a, an enriching, meaningful experience with their kids and don't know how to do that? And how wonderful it would be to have a resource like that. And not only a manual, but maybe even like consultation with people that know how to do that kind of stuff or, you know, online videos or, yeah, or a game that, like yeah, a, what a, games like are space. good for that kind of stuff, you know, like Catan and that kind of stuff. So our summer programming right now is using tabletop games other than role-playing games. Yeah. And I'm doing write-ups for the parents so they'll know why we chose the games we chose. And then I've talked to board game stores to get coupons so those families can go out with that coupon get a discount, buy that game, and then play it at home. So yeah. a game like uh, Hanabi, which is fantastic cooperative game, but it doesn't feel like one of those educational cooperative games that takes some of the fun away. It's a challenging game that requires trust and communication. And it uh, has a lot of very good opportunities to reflect on how much you need from other people in terms of communication, how much you trust other people. And uh, we played with a nine-year-old. And it's Amazing just how much opportunity this nine-year-old had because of our facilitation to be um, thinking about how much he trusts his teammates. Mm. What is it? What do you need from us? I noticed you have a look on your face that says you're kind of unsure mm. and just open reflection of that. And then I can email the parents and say, we played Hanabi. We focused on these things. We think it really boosts the ability to trust each other and to talk about how much you trust each other. Well, I don't know you guys yet. I don't know the way you communicate. It's really a great opportunity for that. And, and so far, the result response from the parents has been really great. Have you thought about using escape rooms? Because that requires a lot of cooperation. Have you ever done an escape room before? You know, it's on my bucket list. I've yeah, it's, a, it's on it. mine too. I've never done it. As it a, seems so, like, so much fun. As a faculty, we did it for our retreat in June, and that was the first time I'd ever done it on Capitol Hill. And it's actually really fun. I, as a slight claustrophobic, was like, screw that noise. But <laughs> they don't actually lock the door. It's just kind of, you know... In, in my head, I was like, you're in this locked space. But... It's actually not actually locked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a huge... The one I was in was a huge room because there's so many puzzles in the room you have to do. And you have to cooperate and you have to communicate with each other. And it's frantic because you have like an hour. The clock is ticking. You know what I mean? And it's very high challenge. I've heard that, yeah. that like a lot of oh, yeah. those escape We failed. Are, we yeah. completely failed. We should do one as a game to grow board. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we That'd should. Be super fun. <laughs> That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I could imagine a game to grow uh, philosophy around those kinds of things, or even a game to grow uh, endorsed kind of thing, you know, like, cause it, cause with us, 
they the facilitators are in the room with us giving us clues occasionally. And in a way, I could absolutely see a person like that elevating their role a little bit more into more facilitation. Like, oh, it looks like you're doing this by yourself. Maybe if you asked a couple questions, you know, because mm-hmm. I see you doing this, and, I, I, you know, it looks like you're doing great work, but I bet you if you worked with that person over there, it might, because there's a lot of puzzles that fit together that you don't know fit together, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, just just throwing that out there. No, I think that's a great idea. And actually, um, because of all the background in, in role-playing games, Adam and I do a, quite a lot of that that's sort of in character as NPCs when we play Dungeons & Dragons, where uh, the NPC might be like, um, I hear you're all talking at the same time and I can't understand any of you. Like, that's that's like a directive to, to in character that I can give. Um, now all the players now know, okay, well, we have to talk one at a time yeah. um, because this NPC is not going to interact with us unless we right. unless we um, take some of that advice that the NPC is sort of offering up. So I can imagine in like a like a escape room um, playing it playing a like salty sailor whose whose um, uh, role is to like sit there and and yeah. uh, drink or something and occasionally <laughs> answer a question to you and he can be like I see you all sitting over at that table for a real long time seems kind of odd to me like <laughs> oh I guess we should move up from the table we probably should move around <laughs> nobody's noticed the small statue on the mantle <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you've already just made it yourself. <laughs> um, another exciting part of, of the of the nonprofit is the connections that you can make with all these various different gaming organizations, like PAX, like Dungeons and Dragons itself, you know, different video games, and because there's a lot of philanthropy that they involve themselves in anyway, and would would love to, you know, and already are connecting themselves with you guys and and promoting and donating things and and. Uh, being a, a place that they can get excited about, right? Is that true? Mm-hmm. We actually had a friend who worked for for um, Wizards of the Coast in the Dungeons and Dragons, and he um, gave us a box of books because then he said the people over at, at Wizards of the Coast, I love what you guys are doing. So here's a bunch of books and just a stack of books of mm-hmm. dungeon masters guides, players' handbooks, all the modules and things, dice, little minis, oh all my, kinds of stuff. Oh my God. And we're not even a, a um, we weren't even a nonprofit. So there, there's a lot of support that we get from out there in the community. So we're really looking forward to being a nonprofit because then it it's it serves two purposes. A lot of these big corporations um, want to do good, and so they they are looking for the right organization to do good with and we serve their mission in many ways um when we met with someone over at wizards of the coast you know they're owned by hasbro and hasbro has a very strong mission to support communities yeah and when we spoke with them before they said we you're not a nonprofit, so um, we can't make a make a thing out of it you know we can we can give you a little bit some stickers and some books and stuff um but in the event that you're not a nonprofit, there's not much we can do we can't have an official uh relationship with you right <laughs> and not a certainly not a sponsorship or anything like that yeah. but if we got to the point i mean we we've met a lot of the people over there at wizards of the coast and who have given us sort of verbal thumbs up um and uh that's it's been great but we would love to be able to to tell the world how much we're using their products to improve people's lives. And then they can help our mission, which is getting it out there and supporting more people in a way, because they have a marketing arm that is uh, across the world. And some of the idea of being a nonprofit is, is in trust. Um, When you're a for-profit company, you know, we were given all those books. Um, They, they might assume we're going to go sell them or we're going to go do whatever we want with them. Um, And the idea of a nonprofit is, is that we get to say, we're, we're very clearly doing this for, for charitable purposes and for trying to, to reach out and do good things with this stuff. 
stuff. And now all of a sudden companies and, and individuals who might not know us that well um, can trust that what we're doing here is charitable and it is trying to work towards towards um, helping the community or helping yeah. uh, helping individuals. Yeah. What sort of community building besides going into communities that wouldn't be able to afford your services? What kind of community building stuff are you going to do? We know there's lots of libraries that are trying to get kids to come into libraries, to give them opportunities to get off the streets, to have an activity that doesn't require any money to participate in, really. if Even in our Dungeons & Dragons groups, the kids don't have to bring anything. We print all their character sheets for them, we provide pencils and dice, and if a library or other sort of community center could have a game day or a game night where kids could come in in an after-school program in a way that they're not just going to go home and be by themselves or or get into trouble, you know, we, we, we see that as an opportunity for um, extracurricular community support wow. um, in a way for these kids to also have um, a hobby, yeah. something they can do at low cost, especially yeah. in um, low-income communities, that, that the small buy-ins, you can really do it with rocks, like you said. Um, Gary Gygax, before he discovered the 20-sided die, used to have poker chips in a bag that were marked 1 through 20. Oh. You can do it with a deck of cards. Just write a number on each card and have 20 cards. Yeah. Um, there's ways you can make this totally accessible um, to really anybody. And so we want to make sure that those barriers are broken down. And um, after-school groups, libraries, other community centers can really bring their kids in and give their kids a place to be safe and do something that's good for them. You guys are geeks, right? Oh, yeah. I'd say so. <laughs> do you enjoy your job? Is this like you get a geek out at work? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it is work. I'm not going to lie to you. There is, it is, there is a lot of serious work. We we love to come to podcasts and talk about all of the fun stuff about playing Dungeons and Dragons for eight hours a week. That's awesome. Um, there is also the planning process where we have to think about the therapeutic intentions and we think about all that stuff, and then we think about how to translate that into a giant spider combat. Yeah. So there is a lot of fun with that too. And the, there's also, I mean, uh, and I think this is true for all therapists. There are times where clients can be frustrating. Yeah. Uh, where you come in and and you're really trying to to help a client move forward, and and they're really having trouble um, taking that next step, or they're really having trouble um, picking up what you're putting down, if uh, so to speak. They're they're having trouble kind of latching onto that, and that happens in our groups too. There are times where it can be it can be frustrating in the game, um, and especially with the populations we work with. So it's not all fun and games. No, it's not all fun. Games. It's, but, but there's a lot of fun games. There's a lot of games, and there's a pretty good amount of fun. 80% <laughs> games. Fun and games. Seven, seven, fun at work. Fun. You know, having, <laughs> enjoying your work. Yeah. We do actually um, have a lot of fun, though. That's, people ask us, like, the... Uh, how can I do this? How can I start a, um, a company like Wheelhouse Workshop? And I'll be like, well, first thing you have to do is find someone with the same name as you <laughs> that you work really well with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who will like? It like, helps. It helps if you're both named Adam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in our experience. Yeah, yeah. And you <laughs> the like Adams. <laughs> you like similar music and and it helps. <laughs> you talk Some, someone you can spend funny ten voices. hours a day with is is pretty easy because we work long long days. Do you do groups together? Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent. So uh, there's a there's sort of a limit. If, if you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, there's a limit to how many people you can really comfortably have at one table with one dungeon master. Um, and so our groups are uh, kind of maxed out at eight people. 
And that means that Adam and I each split into two tables of four players and one dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Um, we often play in the same room, although in in our our new space that we're going to be having, we're going to have we're, we'll be able to have separate rooms, which helps cut down on noise between groups. Yeah, um, but we'll often do check in together and um, have a chance to sort of ask answer questions and have some relationship with the other table. And then Adam and I will split up into different tables um, and run each of our own games. And sometimes those games are very similar or even crossover between each other. And sometimes those games are, are hugely different uh, because of the different challenges of, of the players at the table. So to wrap this up, then people can donate, obviously, uh, to the nonprofit by going to gametogrow.org. Gametogrow.org, yeah. Gametogrow.org. And it's a T-O, game to grow game to grow.org yes. .org. all spelled out no numbers no numbers it's not it's not like a prince song you know <laughs> and you can donate there if you're interested in donating either funds or even materials if you're someone from a you know some kind of gaming organization those donations will go to helping us uh, get our new offices set up and make it a great gaming experience for all the players who are coming to those offices as well as um, helping scholarship for players to attend those groups who otherwise might not be able to afford it um, and helping us expand helping us um, get this out to other people right helping expand to all those five-year plan sort of stuff that, Mm -hmm. that we were talking about and they can also go to gametogrow.org to, you know, in perpetuity to learn about the new developing programs and other kinds of things. Right now, it's it's pretty much a lot of planning. And also in Kirkland, Washington, near Seattle, you have a, uh, a space where uh, young people will come and... Uh, you know, involve themselves in these, in these gaming groups, uh, for social skills that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the future game to grow, will have more, the game to grow.org will have more things on there. So if you're listening to this in five years, uh, I, I congratulate you on, uh, the next president of the United States other than <laughs> Donald Trump. And I also am wondering what's on the game to grow.org, uh, website by that point, you know, cause it just seems like, there's a lot of energy around this, a lot of excitement about it. You know, when you guys asked me to do it, I don't have a lot of time in my life to dedicate to things. And so I was just like, because ah, people ask me to be on board sometimes, and I'm just like, mm. but when you guys uh, came to me, I, I, I asked you a few questions, and I was just like, actually, like this could be huge. Because I am fairly sure... That in probably, honestly, like 30 years or something, or 20 years, maybe 50 years, like what we're talking about in the future, people will be like, well, yeah, duh. I mean, <laughs> of course. What, what therapist doesn't play video games with their clients? Like, that's ridiculous. How do you possibly do anything with a client without you know, playing a game that they enjoy. I mean, it's so easy to do. You just, you just create a game that they like and then, you know, you slip in a few therapeutic things. I mean, it's simple, you know, (laughs) I'm sure we're going to be there at some point, you know, I'm sure at some point there's going to, there's going to be an under, a, a bridging of the gap because as gaming teenagers grow up and have kids, there's more of a, you know, there's more of a, of a bridge now between, the old people with power and the young people that are actually playing these games. And so uh, I'm sure that w- this is like where we're headed, but we are, we are so far from that mark right now. <laughs> we are so far from it. And, and I just think it's like 
man, you know, I want to be a, there just seems like there's so much potential. There's so much, it's like there's this fertile field just waiting to be, you know, seeded with, you know, your guys's stuff. And, and that will, I think, undoubtedly be helpful to people and, and interesting to people. And so I, uh, thought, man, you know, that sounds like a, a, a good journey to go on with you guys, you know, to be a part of it, It's uh, It's sort of like with this, just incidentally, it's sort of like with this podcast when I, in, in 2008, when I was listening, you know, I was like, Oh, I love podcasts, you know, and listening to science podcasts, history podcasts. I was like, what about psychology podcasts? And so I was like, downloaded all the main psychology podcasts. And I was just like, Man, it's there's not a lot of good psychology podcasts out there. Yeah. No offense against the ones that were out at the time, but I was like, man, like if someone came along and like just created sort of a half-assed podcast, it would probably, you know, be at least somewhat listened to, you know. And little old me, not knowing anything about radio or anything at all, because of how of an open field it was, just without any players, you know. At the I think at the time in 2008 there were like three podcasts that were about psychology just three wow, now imagine crazy. today right you know yeah. with all the po- but still there's not a lot of podcasts about psychology even today um so my point is is that that's exciting to me you know as it just for me personally it's exciting to like get on the ground level you know imagine in the 90s with the dot-com boom you know you're you understand how dot-coms work you know it's just like you, it's just like interesting to be at that beginning phase of something you know and see it grow into the future. I think it's going to take time because I think all those cultural barriers are still around. And I don't think it's going to like, I mean, it'd be great if it did, but I don't think it's going to take off as fast as it should. But uh, I'm pretty sure in like 50 years, this people listen to this and be like, they didn't back then. That's just so dumb. (laughs) What were they thinking? Right. Yeah. So so thanks for asking me, I guess is my point there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually we, um, we went through like a, a kind of a, a long list and, and really narrowed things down. We asked you to be a part of the board because of, of your passions for uh, not, not only for all the podcast stuff that you put together, but, but like your passions for um, geek and psychology and being able to, to take both those areas. Those are obviously hugely important things. And like you said, it's, it's so limited for how many therapists are really involved or really interested and engaged in, in that geek community and how much those two areas are so isolated from each other. And I think that they are, they're ready to, to combine. I think they're ready to, to join in and recognize how integrated a lot of geek culture and a lot of geek things are, are into other parts of our lives. Let's, let's jump on board that and, and recognize all the, all the good pieces of it. Yeah. Little did I know when I was rolling that pebble in the fifth grade that it would lead me to this moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any final word from either Adam? We don't want you to game more. We want you to game better. We want you to game to grow. Awesome. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, Adam Davis and Adam Johns. Again, there's a public event, Antioch University, September 7th, 2017, depending on when you're listening to this. And also GameToGrow.org. Also, there's going to be Twitter at Game at game to grow, uh, All spelled out, no, no numbers. And, uh, yeah, and expect to have other podcasts, episodes about this. Maybe we'll do some micro stuff. Maybe we'll even play some games. You we, know? Talked, we talked about trying to do a D&D game, game podcast or something. We should but, do that next time. I, I, feel really like, I feel like... I feel like... 
people because so many people don't know what Dungeons and Dragons is, and they think of it as this you know terrible thing, and uh, or you know again because people ask me where are you going on Sundays, you know, and I just they're Dungeons and Dragons, what like what like actually it's funny the last our last board meeting people were coming over to my house for a dinner party and they were arriving before I got home and uh, they were being told, Oh, you know, he's at this Dungeons and Dragons thing. And they're like, Oh, that's, that's great. It's great. So Kirk's helping people to stop playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that's what they thought it was. They thought wow. this, this game to grow was an organization to stop people from playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I was, it was like, actually it's, it's the opposite. Yeah, we've got <laughs> so, to work that out for us. <laughs> so I feel like we, I feel like we should play a game to demonstrate that it's, it's actually like loads of fun. It's, it's, quite possibly the funnest game I've ever played in my life, you know? And so we should do that next time. Yeah. That'd be I want to hear all your voices. Oh, oh my I God. I want to hear all I those got voices. lots of them. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that does it for that episode. Thanks for joining me, Adam and Adam. Please take care of yourself out there because you all deserve it.